We're in Ephesians 3. Uh, go ahead and turn there. Maybe your Bible automatically opens uh, in Ephesians. I don't know. That's not a bad thing. You know, it's not really, not really a bad thing for that. And we've been uh, trying to study or to understand that we think that the book of Ephesians and some other books as well ask or declare that we're to walk worthy of our calling, uh, which we, you know is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, but there's a good deal of time spent on saying, okay, if you're going to walk worthy of your calling, then what is your calling? And I've just sort of uh, labeled this on your outline, I believe here, what God expects from me. And then this uh, following thing is knowing our calling is preparation for living out our calling. Knowing our calling, that's Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, is preparation for living out our calling. Preparation is an important thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, can you think of what uh, are some things that your parents or you as a parent try to prepare your kids for? What did you train them? Why don't you talk about that at your table real quick? What did your parents or what did you try to prepare your kids for? Real quick, I'm going to give you two minutes, okay? What did you prepare your kids for or what did your parents prepare you for? I know, okay, I know when I open this up, I know what this crowd is like, so be nice, okay, be nice. But what is it that your parents prepared you for or you tried to prepare your kids for? To be independent. To be independent? Okay, to be independent, no God, yeah. And, and this, this idea I'm trying to operate here is that Paul is trying to prepare us in understanding our calling so that we can live a life worthy of the calling. It's a common thing for us as people, as parents. What'd you prepare your kids for? How'd you do it? What'd you prepare them for? Yeah. I told them to be sure you know how to pray. Know how to pray. And oh. get on your knees. Okay, so Patsy, yeah. Prepared her kids by... They thought I was stupid. They what? They thought I was stupid. No, no, they didn't think that. Your kids are better than that. Yeah, <laughs> teach them how to pray. Get on their knees and pray. Yeah. Be independent. What else? What, what preparation did you think was important for your children or did your parents think was important for you? Yes. Part of the independence thing was we traveled a lot and Sydney from a very young age, like three or four, I would hand her her ticket in the airport hmm. and have her read where we're going and then she'd have to walk out in front of us. Oh, and so she would lead us. So yeah. if we ever got separated in the airport, which we You could blame lie. it on her. <laughs> there you go. You could blame it on her. Hey, that, why do you have kids? So you can blame them, you know? That's right. right. Yeah, you know, it, yes. We did, when they got allowances, they had three jars. And I'm, you know, I'm an old fourth grade teacher, so that's <laughs> where it comes from. And they had to put... I can't even remember the percentage of the savings. Then they had 10% to our church, oh. and the rest was a freedom fund. Okay. And our daughter never had a penny in her freedom fund. <laughs> and our son used to ask her for money because his freedom fund, I mean, it was like overflowing. <laughs> but I'm not sure even when they were that little, they got the 10% to the They understood oh. it, hmm. what they were doing, but we were trying to teach okay. them. Okay, so a t like tithe in one jar, savings in another jar, and a freedom, and a freedom jar. Okay. A couple of people. Closets. Yeah. I've been down that road there a couple of times. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we've all tried to prepare our children or we've had parents try to prepare us. 
I remember I got a little job uh, at an auto store thing like thing, and my dad sat me down after I got it. And he said, son, you got a little job there. I'm really proud of you. Way to go. Now what we're going to talk about is rent. I said, what? He said, I'm going to have you pay a little rent. And I said, I make $60 every two weeks. He said, I'm going to teach you it costs money to live. And so he decided on a very, it was a very small amount, you know, and he's a small amount. He said, I'm going to teach you that it costs money to live. And, you know, it was amazing. My dad, my mother had a fit with that. My brother and my sister never did it. And they've had money problems all their life. And my dad just taught me how to, so prepared. Now, you know, we all work at that. We prepare our children, our people have prepared us. You know, we want our children to get a good education. We want them to be good citizens. We want them to move out of the house so we can make it a movie room. You know, all those kind of things we're, we're preparing for, you know. So, so the idea here with Paul is Paul is preparing us, if you will, of knowing our calling, if you will, so that we can be prepared uh, to be able to live it out. So I'm going to run through a couple of things here because I want to look here in Ephesians 3. We're going to concentrate today. We're going to concentrate today on verses. Uh, let me get over here, get my, get my mind here. Uh, I'm in Ephesians 3, right? Here we go. Uh, and um, I'll get it here. Yeah. I'm in Ephesians, right? Yes. I'll get there. Okay. First of all, in Ephesians 3, Paul is preparing us by knowing, and here I just want to make a, a, a quick statement here about knowing God's methods. In Ephesians 3, 1 to 2, God's methods are people. We've talked about this. We discussed this. We kind of shared that when Mark shared uh, about um, uh, his uh, work there, that God, God works through Jesus' work. God works through... Uh, if you will, uh, God through the Holy Spirit's work, but God also works with people. You'll notice Paul said, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of grace that was given to me. This is real personal kinds of language. We've talked about that, but I think it's important for us to kind of demystify the gospel at times to not only understand it's the work of Jesus that we rely upon, actually chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians, but God has also used the method of other people, of using, of using human beings to do that. And so we need to review and know in other words, our calling is to know God's method. So I'd encourage you just to, to sort of take a look at that and uh, get an idea there. I think I'd said before that the little song we used to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me true. Toe, uh, toe. <laughs> I got back from Chicago. I went to Colorado. I just got back. So I'm somewhere in between. Uh, but the little song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is not really true. The first time I ever heard that Jesus loved me was not from the Bible. It was from a person. It was my grandmother. It was my dad. It was my mom. All of those people. And so God's methods are not simply, if you will, to use the work of Jesus or to do the work of God that we're so thankful about, but is also God's method, if you will, to use human beings. Uh, we, we, we discussed that. So that's the first thing. We'll spend a lot of time on that. The second is knowing the mystery that in order for us to walk out our calling, we need to know the mystery. Where Paul refers to that in 3 to 6 is this mystery is about that the Gentiles now are full members, full partners, full participants in the gospel. That's not been the case in the past. 
Israel had the covenant. Israel had the law. Israel had all of the, the matters, if you will, of the covenant. And of this matter, then, Paul was trying to communicate that they're actually partners and part of that. Paul is, I would say this, he's real clear-headed about this, that his ministry and the ministry of the gospel is to include all people. And we've, we've talked some about that in length, how radical this was to believe that Gentiles could also be with Jews in the same place. It's amazing. The early church is an amazing experiment, if you will, in people getting along with each other that had never been able to do that beforehand. It wasn't because they all agreed with things. It wasn't because they all had the same ideas. It was because of their being centered in the person and work of Jesus. I, I referred to this a few weeks ago, and I'll just remind you that it would be a remarkable thing if you stopped and thought about how Jesus is able to bring people together, his love, his life, his values, that in Jesus' own circle of followers, there were two different people in there that when you notice that or look at it closely, it's remarkable. There was Simon the Zealot in that discipleship group. He was part of a group that was focused on the armed overthrow of Rome. That's what the zealots were about, for the armed overthrow. There was no election. There was no way to get them out. You have this person as a member of Jesus' group of disciples. And on the other side of the spectrum is Matthew, who is a worker for the state of a tax collector, who worked for Rome, who was participant in the actual excising of taxes on the people. So how did those two guys get along? How did they come together from such wide, open places? We think about, you know, people who claim to be Christians if they're Republicans, Democrats can't even get along. This is times 10 because of that. But what was it? It wasn't that they somehow just kind of decided, well, we'll just agree to disagree. You know, you hear people say that sometimes. But what they were focused in was in the person and the work of Jesus Christ that caused that kind of unity. And so Paul is saying, we need to know the mystery, this mystery that God has brought about in this matter. We'll go on. Then we're going to look here. Here in verse 7, not that, that's not verse 7, but in verse 7, uh, the ESV says of this gospel. Do you notice that there in verse 7? That I was made a minister for this gospel. It's a very interesting uh, statement there about knowing our calling. Uh, knowing our uh, pre preparation for walking worthy of our calling is not only knowing God's methods. It's not only knowing the mystery. It's knowing this gospel. That's where I want to kind of pick it up. Uh, you probably know this, that the word gospel is not a religious term in Paul's day. It, it isn't. It has nothing to, in fact, here is in the praying uh, inscription here, calendar, I'm going to read this for you. You might have a little trouble reading there the script over there on the right. Uh, or your, yeah. That uh, this is an inscription about Augustus who was Caesar and it refers to, this is a praying uh, in uh, Turkey when it says, and whereas finally the birthday of the God, Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. That's the Greek word, euangelion, which is the word, Gospel concerning him, therefore, let a new era begin from his birth. And so the word gospel is not religious. Uh, it's used, you can read it in ancient literature uh, all through the ancient world. 
Uh, there was, I read one, maybe, yeah. I read one, phrase, or one statement here where uh, there was a record by uh, one of the Roman historians uh, that uh, Brutus, you know, he's the guy that helped kill Caesar, um, that uh, Brutus uh, made the statement and wrote in a letter that it was a good thing that Caesar had changed parties. I don't know what that means, but that Caesar had changed parties and that was now good news. And so they were arguing politically back then, even then. So, uh, but this term, and so if you think about this a little bit, you realize that the word gospel isn't a religious term. It means good news. Now, is that why, and again, in the ESV, is that why I was made according a minister of this gospel? You see that there? You see that in the ESV? The, 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 the demonstrative pronoun, this, indicating that Paul is not just referring to some kind of good news in general. He's not referring to just the common use of the term in the ancient world. He's discussing or considering something very specific. Not a house, but this house. Not a car, but this car. Not a gospel, but this gospel. I got to thinking about it. Um, how many different kind of gospels have you heard? You heard some designations of, you know, you watch religious television. What, what kind of, there's some names that are out there about gospel. You ever? Oh, I promise that every election. There's some names. Have you heard them? Full. The full gospel. <clears throat> they You'll hear the, the thing, the full, like nobody else is full, but we are, but full. What else? The prosperity gospel. You'd have heard of that. Those kind of, those kind of indications of what it's called. There's a gospel that, you know, it's called the prosperity gospel. Now, those people might not think that's true, but that's what it's called. What else? Full, full gospel, prosperity gospel. What else? Heard anything else? The Gospel Jubilee, <clears throat> when you were a kid, that was back when the Dead Sea was just sick, but <clears throat> a few years ago. Yeah. Dead Sea was only sick. It had been diagnosed that way. Gospel Jubilee? <clears throat> was that? It was a singing? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, there's what kind of music is there? Gospel music at the Gospel Jubilee, you know? I, yeah, right. So, so this word gospel, it, it's made its way into our. Lexicon, it's kind of made its way into our language, and we think it's a religious term when it isn't. Uh, it's really the idea just of good news. So I'd like to look here when Paul in verse 7, if you'll follow along with me. And to me, or of this gospel which I was made a minister according to the, the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. So I want to suggest that, that Paul is saying, okay, this gospel that I'm referring to, this, this gospel that you need to know if you're to walk worthy, is knowing this gospel, see here, is first of all, it's an empowered gospel. Notice here, if you will, in verse 7, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace given to me according to the working of His power. The gospel here that Paul understands that he's communicating is not only a gift that God gives to him, this ministry, but it's also empowered. And that term empowered here, or the, the idea I'm doing, he says it was the working of his power. 
that this gospel... Now, you might refer here, if you want to, to Romans 1, 17 and 18, uh, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. What does Paul say? It's the power of God unto salvation. Now, I think it's important for us to, to understand this, for, for us to kind of live this out. Uh, we live in an age, in a world where there's a lot of technology. And we have a tendency, perhaps, to rely on it. We have a, a tendency to think that if we can get the right technology or the right things in place, that we can basically get done what we want done. I mean, I was, <clears throat> I was uh, in Indianapolis the other day, and I had my flight tracker on the, my phone. And I'm watching the plane. And I'm watching the plane from the morning when it started. There were five different flights before it got to Indy. And so I'm watching them, every one of them. Okay? Okay? We're good. So when it got to Indianapolis on time after five different flights, <laughs> I'm okay. <clears throat> I thought, okay, I got the technology here. It's showing me what's happening. I'm going home to Chicago. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought, you know, I got this all figured out because I've got the technology here working it out. Didn't work that way. We have a tendency, perhaps, at times to not stop to say the gospel is the power of God. It can, the God can use somebody that's not very gifted or talented. God can use people who are flawed and not altogether because the gospel is the power of God. And I just say, maybe I'm telling more of myself. But there are times when I think when I try to communicate or do something about the gospel that I feel a terrible inward tension, you know, that, that's happening in me. And it's because I'm thinking that I got to carry the ball. I got to make the argument. I got to make the point. I've got to be clever enough to do that instead of saying, Cliff, wait a minute. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I can't tell you how nice that is when I remember that. Whenever you remember that, whenever you're talking to someone or you remember that when you're living your life, when Paul says here, I was given this gift according to the working of his power, his power. Now, you know, I've said this a few times, but maybe it bears repeating that part of our problem with experiencing the power of God is that maybe we're still relying on our own strength. Maybe we're relying on our own ability. And I'll just say it again, but I do believe that it is this. It's your inadequacy that creates capacity for God to work in your life. It's your inadequacy that creates the capacity for God to work in your life. Why? Because you're relying and depending on Him. I just know when I depend on me, there's not a lot of horsepower here. <laughs> there's not a lot of change. There's not a lot of things that can happen. But Paul says here, I need to remember this gospel. It's an empowered gospel. 
So as you go through life this week or as you talk to people or you're involved with folks, would you just consciously take a moment and say, you know what? This gospel is not dependent on my power. This this gospel, this ministry, whatever I'm involved in, whatever I'm doing, if I'm involved in ministry or working with my children or or being involved with our grandkids, that in fact, it's the power of God that's operating here. And you just have to understand and let that happen. Second, what about we know about this gospel? Oh, you didn't think I was going to get through this today, but I am. (laughs) (laughs) Becky said to me, that's a lot of blanks. I said, yep, I'm getting through them. Okay, number two, a securing gospel. Notice here, um, a, a, a securing, I, I'm using that term in a verb form. Maybe, maybe it's a secure gospel. Verse eight, to me, he said, this ministry was given to me by the grace of God through the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints. Um, I just wanted to stop there because there's at least a lot of discussion perhaps of what this means. When Paul really says, you know, this, this ministry was given to me through the grace of God by God's power and working, though I'm the least. Um, I, I, it could be, you know, I, I wrote in my notes, this could be just Paul patronizing them. You know, well, I'm no good, you know. I, I remember, so, some of y'all have to watch this on Nickelodeon or something, but I remember Johnny Carson. Anybody remember Johnny Carson? <clears throat> I remember Johnny Carson, whenever he would get going and he would, I'll step out here. He, he would get to going and he'd say to people, oh, no, 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 no clapping here. Remember that? He'd do that. Oh, no. He, he, would, he was feigning humility. Like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. But he's saying, no, come on. You know, somebody says, well, Paul is just feigning humility. He's trying to seem very humble. Or... I wonder if Paul, understanding that he has this ministry by the grace of God, look back at verse 7, the grace of God, and it's the power of God, he didn't have to worry about it. I can be the least. I don't have to be the best. I don't have to be the biggest. I don't have to be the most. Because this gospel is rooted in God's grace and God's power. And I don't have to work. I wrote in my notes. I said, what a relief to know it's God's power and grace that's at work. And I don't have to scramble to be recognized. What a relief. I told you guys some years ago, some of you weren't here. um, And some of you may leave today. But (laughs) I remember several years ago when I was working at the university. And and, uh, uh, this was probably probably six or seven years ago. That uh, I, I remember saying to the class, and I think some of you are still doing this. I said, I really need you to pray for me or I'm not going to be able to keep teaching this class. And I said, "Um, I just have to tell you, uh, part of this is Marty's fault. Uh, Part of it is. As Marty would say, Cliff is smart. He's this, that, and the other, which I'm loud. I'm not that smart. I I just know that. Amen. Amen. (laughs) For for the recording's sake, that's Stanton Smith. He, he gets a, a gold star today. Uh, but I told him, I said, uh, you know what? I'm waking up at, because I always do anyway, about 5 o'clock on Sunday morning to finish the lesson. And um, I would wake up like, <gasps> and it was because I had to be the smartest, the cleverest, the funniest. I had to be the deepest because it was about Producing. And I remember saying to God, this is killing me. I can't keep doing this. 
I, I don't know about you. If you've ever been in ministry, what we call front line or front face, front facing ministry, where you're in front of people, or you're trying to lead something, this thing gets all. My mom would say, "I don't know what this word exactly means or how to spell it, but it gets all gommed up." <laughs> right? It's an East Texas thing. I, I have no idea what. I hope it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But, but, I, but I said to the class, and I remember a couple of you coming up to me, and I hope you're still I said, it's killing me because of this idea that I got to be the best instead of I can be the least. Because it's God's power and it's God's grace. So I don't think Paul's patronizing them. I don't think he's trying to play, you know, like, oh, no, Paul, you're really great. Oh, no, Paul, you're really great. I, I don't think he's doing that. I think Paul is so secure that he can say, in the midst of this ministry, I am the least and it's okay. How much relief would there be? I wrote in my notes here for us to answer this question. Can you rest in the giftedness and the abilities that God has given you? Do you find yourself in need to exert and prove your abilities? Or can you rest? That whatever you are and whatever you have and whatever God has done, that you can rest. You can be the least. I can be the least. We don't have to compete. We don't have to angle. We don't have to find our way up the ladder. But this notion or understanding what Paul says, he gave me this ministry. This was by grace. And I am the least of the saints that this grace was given. I don't, I don't know if that touches you or helps you, but so many times there's this matter of where we have to project a certain profile or project a certain way. And it's exhausting because we can't rest in that this gospel can use and will use the least. Why is Paul saying that? Again, go back up to verse 7, because it's God's grace and God's power. Knowing this gospel also includes an inclusive gospel. Notice what he says. To me, be given the least of the saints, the grace that was given to preach to the Gentiles. I'm just going to stop there real quick. And we've already talked about this and it's referred to earlier up in verses 1 to 6. That this is an inclusive gospel. That this idea of Gentiles and Jews together, it's an important feature. And if there's one place on the earth, perhaps, maybe that people ought to be able to be together and love one another. Doesn't mean we'll agree in every area, but that we don't set up barriers to people for them to be able to understand the grace of God and the opportunity to be transformed. You know, we're all broken. Some of us just don't know it yet. <laughs> we're broken. We have need. We want to extend grace not only to ourselves, but to others and to be included. Now, I'm going to move this to this one. Hurry. This is where I want to get this. <laughs> a stunning gospel. I want you to notice this term here um, that is in verse, um, uh, verse uh, bring the, I'm sorry, back up, eight. To me, the least of the saints given, which would to preach to Gentiles the unsearchable, unfathomable, undefinable riches of Christ. Paul is saying here that this gospel has this stunning effect that he's going to preach what? To the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Now, that word unfathomable, if you will, 
is, is this uh, a matter of unmeasured. You, you just can't measure it. Uh, it. It's beyond what one would ever imagine. It, it's a, it, in fact, I, when I'm reading this and working through it, doing a little exegetical work, when it says here, the unfathomable or in some translations, unsearchable riches, you know what I start thinking? What are they? <laughs> he just said they're unfathomable. But I want a list. Right? Don't you? Well, what are those? Well, I mean, there's a couple of ways around this. Is This would have to be a complete understanding of the work of Jesus, both in his earthly ministry and in his continuing ministry as high priest. This unfathomable in what we say this, it's unfathomable in its scope. It's for everyone. It's unfathomable in its duration. It never ends. It's unfathomable in its reach to anyone. No one has sinned too much or failed too much or done too. So it's scope, it's duration, it's reach, the work of Jesus. But I did think about this idea that it's stunning. The, the gospel in some ways has been kind of domesticated. It's almost like, and again, I don't mean to be unkind here, uncharitable, but, you know, we, we used to talk about the four spiritual laws. Or, are there only four? <laughs> you know, our, our, we, we've sort of domesticated the gospel to where it's understandable. It's, it's confined to our thinking. It, 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 it's confined to our understanding. When Paul says here, my job is about something that's unsearchable. It's unfathomable. You can't get to the bottom of it if you try it all your life. That's this gospel. It's not <clears throat> calculated. It's not calibrated. It's not brought together in some kind of nice little package like I've got the gospel. I will say this. I <clears throat> have a friend, one at least, um, that, uh, that went to a college and asked people to write, or he was going to write on the board their answers, and he said, give me one word that communicates the gospel. And this exercise, <clears throat> I think, illustrated that we sort of tried to make the gospel this kind of cognition. I'm not saying there isn't some of that. I mean, we got to know some things, but we kind of reduced it to some kind of cognition, to concepts. And my friend said, he was at the Christian college, and so he's writing words down, words down, word, you know, justification, peace, you know, substantiation, uh, you know, uh, propitiation, all the kind of things. He said after about 10 minutes of that, he said there was one glaring omission, the name Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. Who he is what he did, and what he's doing. He was shocked, the thought, that people could talk about propitiation, they could talk about peace, they could talk about forgiveness, they could talk about new life, they could talk about everything in the world, but Jesus. And Paul says here, I'm here to preach the unfathomable, the un, un, if you will, the just in a stunning kind of way, 
He just kind of swipes at it. I wish he gave a little more detail. But he just takes a swing at it to say, this gospel, the riches, the muchness of Christ. Now, you know, we, we've all had experiences where we're kind of stunned. You know, uh, this past week we went uh, on a little retreat to Colorado uh, and spent some time. And, you know, you, you see some stuff like that stunning. I mean, like, the, oh, wait a minute, what's that? We were having a contest who's going to make the best guest mileage. I won. Isn't that stunning? Isn't that stunning? Not really. <clears throat> this is stunning. <clears throat> Going up the cog train <laughs> up in Colorado, you know, to look out. And that's not a real good picture, but it's the best I could do there. Uh, go up the cog train up to 14,000 feet, you know, and then step out of the train and fall flat on your face because no oxygen. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, you better be careful. Okay, this is, a, this is a public service to the Sunday school class. If you ride that thing, you better be careful when you stand up. But, but this, this idea of this gospel, it's rich. It's rich. It's deep. There is in one sense in which it's unable to be. And so whenever we get it domesticated and we take all the mystery out of it and we just say it's this concept and that concept and this idea, Instead of it is the person and work of Jesus that has so affected the whole world that we have an unfathomable gospel. I, I, I recommend, here's a verse you might go look at because, I, again, I'm trying to find a list where Paul will do that. But I would go to 1 Corinthians 1.30 later, 1 Corinthians 1.30 <clears throat> Where Paul says, by his doing, God's, you are in Christ Jesus, who's been become to us all wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's a pretty good list, right? That that when you think about the unfathomable this, that Jesus has become my wisdom and my righteousness and my sanctification and, if you will, my redemption. You could spend some time on those words. It's a rich gospel. You know what else it is? It's a cosmic gospel. Look here what he says. <clears throat> the unfathomable riches of Christ, verse 9, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which it for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, notice there, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's something about this gospel that's cosmic. Not just your neighborhood. Not just Crossings Community Church. But there's something that's going on through the church to show the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places the wisdom of God. I'd like you to get your lens widened out a little bit here to understand that this gospel... <clears throat> Now, when Paul makes this statement that the manifold wisdom of God of bringing Jew and Gentile together in the same way through the person of Jesus, that it might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to give you a quick rundown of this. In Ephesus, there is this temple um, to a goddess named Artemis. Um, that's the Greek name. And she is considered... 
Uh, one of the, well, it's one of the seven wonders of the world because the Astrodome had not been built yet. So, <clears throat> did y'all know the Astrodome is the eighth wonder of the world? What is wrong with you people? No. <clears throat> so it was only the seventh <clears throat> at that time. They were waiting for the Astrodome. But she was the goddess <clears throat> uh, who was, uh, <clears throat> uh, had fallen. There's some, idea, some suggestion. There was this uh, sacred rock that fell out of the heavens. And she's the goddess of that in the heavens. And they built this temple. And it was a massive thing if you've ever studied it or looked at it. It was not only the, one, the largest temple in, in Europe or in Asia and uh, Middle uh, Asia, but it was also a banking center. It was also a worship center. This place was something else. And Artemis was considered one of the gods of the, of the stars, of one of the gods of the heavens. In fact, it's, it's, it's fascinating, uh, one of those passages there. She is the God of the hunt. She's the God of the heavens and the God of childbirth. And people always get torn up in 1 Timothy 3 when it talks about Paul, or Paul writes, I do not let a woman speak or have authority over a man, but she must remain silent. But women will be saved. Sozo is the Greek word, verinous verse. Women will be saved through childbirth. Ladies, you know that? That's you know how you go to heaven? That's what it says. That's what it says. You go look at it. Right? So if you're going to quote the, I don't let a woman speak or have authority over men, but she must remain silent and learn because women will be saved through childbirth. What a deal. <laughs> well, <clears throat> it's because Artemis was the God that protected women in childbirth. And Paul is saying, you just remain faithful to Jesus. You'll be okay in childbirth. You don't have to worry about Artemis. You don't have to worry about being saved through childbirth by some goddess. This God, this gospel has cosmic reality to it. He is the ruler of the universe. And this entire victory over the cosmos through the God of Jesus Christ, our God and Father, this inclusion of this incredible gospel is that it is cosmic. I mean, we, we, again, we kind of reduce the gospel, make it something smaller. It's about me. It's about our church. No, he says that through the church, what's going to happen? The rulers and authorities and the heavenly places are going to see it and say, something's going on there. Now, all this cosmology, that's the, the, the technical term. There's a, there's a view of cosmology, which means how the universe operates and who's where. At least in Ephesians, there is this uh, concept or this notion, if you will, uh, of, of the heavenlies and the powers that be or how they're defeated through Jesus. In chapter 6, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, the spiritual wickedness in high places. But that's back in before two when Paul says what? That we are seated in Christ. Where? In heavenly places. So Ephesians has this incredibly cosmic gospel that God through Jesus is in charge. And that the church is part of that showing, notice here, that through the church the rulers and authorities might know this manifold witness. So did you think about when you came to church today, 
that it wasn't just, ah, you know, I'll probably go hear a sermon or listen to some music. I want to be part of that. When he says, look here, through the church, I want to be participating in revealing to those rulers and authorities the wisdom of God. Who could put a group like this together? <laughs> right? Who could put a group like this together? Only the cosmic Christ to bring us together. And so I think Paul wants to say that's this gospel. That's this good news. I don't have time to unpack all of it. You ought to spend some time looking at that. Also, Colossians gets into this very thing, this notion that this is bigger than your church, my church, your relationship with God, my relationship with God. This is a big deal. And you can be a part of that. That Finally, we're finishing all the blanks. I told you. Doesn't take much to entertain me. An engaging gospel. Look here. It's amazing. So that through the manifold wisdom of God, this was in accordance, verse 11, with His eternal purpose, which He carried out in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. This is an engaging gospel. We're engaged with God. We're not on the sidelines hoping we get in. <clears throat> We're not looking around thinking, could God ever have any time for me? What does he say here? We have, I mean, these are, these are powerful words here. When he says that we have boldness, that Greek word there, we've talked about this before, but boldness, you know what that means? Uh, I know what it means. <laughs> it means to speak out boldly and clearly and frankly. Look what it says. We have access we have boldness of access. In other words, we can speak frankly with God. You know, I was in college, people, I, I, I pulled a, told a guy one time at the university, I said, if you ever do that again, I'm going to pull you off the platform. Now, what was that? He gets up there and he gets into this preacher voice. Today, we're going to be with God in our time together. And I said, man, that is so fake. Don't you ever do that again. I'll come get you off the platform. Why is that? Because we think we've got to have some kind of an approach, like a landing gauge. Here we're coming in, God. We'll be there in a minute. We'll be there ready in a minute. Dear Heavenly Father, Thou who inhabitest all the heavens. Hey, if you want to do that, that's not a problem. But if you're doing that because you think you've got to earn it, or you've got to get some kind of audience with God because you've got to earn it, you've got problems here. This means open-mouthed. <clears throat> Dear God, I need to talk to you. This isn't working. It's a problem. I don't, I don't see a way out. When he says boldness, open mouth, frankly, speaking frankly. And then he says this, and confident access. Notice, through faith in him. This gospel lets you engage. This gospel lets you approach. This gospel we're a part of allows us to be a part of this, allows us to come in without any hesitation. Can you do that? Can you approach God like that with confidence, with, with boldness? I'm not talking about being silly. I'm not I'm probably being goofy. But to say, God, I, I know I don't have to go through any routine or rigmarole for you to hear me. I'm here. Some of my best prayer times have been when I kind of drop all that other stuff. And just say, look, we got to talk. 
I got a problem or I got a concern. So this gospel is an engaging gospel. It's rich, it's cosmic, and it's engaging. The question for all of us is, how often are we engaging? Are we taking that opportunity where these words, they're all stacked up, boldness, confident access? I want to do better at that. I want to not get into that kind of earning situation where I feel like, well, I, in, my, in my journal, I just, I just read it every day. It's right there in my journal because I've got to learn it. It says this, I'm able to approach the throne of grace, not because I've prayed well, not because I've lived well, not because I've tried hard, and not because I've succeeded, but because you've invited me to be boldly and confident by coming to you. There have been times in my life when I didn't pray enough during the week, I felt like, or didn't know enough, and I sort of had to make up. Anybody ever do that? Kind of have to make up for it? Yeah, that's not bold, confident access. That's earning. And so this week, why don't you lean into this gospel? Maybe it's a little different than the one you heard. Or maybe it has a couple of nuances of that. But, the, but in, in this coming week, that you realize it's a rich gospel, it's a cosmic gospel, and it's engaging. And God invites you. Let's pray. And now, Jesus, if you would give us the privilege of living this out in our coming day, and you would keep our eyes on you as we realize that this gospel may be different than the one we heard when we were a kid. It could have been the different than the one we heard when we were an adult. But help us to lean into this gospel for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen.